White Winter, Chapter 5 When Sophie was finished with her story, Oren leaned back and blew air out of his lips, creating a mini raspberry. God, Sophie, I knew some details of what happened to your mum, obviously, but I never knew all of that. No, me neither, I said, thinking that at least it finally made sense as to why she'd been so secretive about it all these years. How did anyone even begin to explain all of that without weaving together such a story? Katie just shook her head. I'm so sorry you went through all of that, Sophie. It's a really terrible thing for any family to endure. Connor was tapping his pint against the table as he fell into deep thought. Now, I'm not saying that you're lying. Connor! I snapped at him. He raised a placating hand towards me, begging peace. Listen... I'm sure all that stuff about your mum's addiction was as true and as awful as you described. All I'm suggesting is, could it be that because it was so traumatic and you were so scared out of your wits, especially with both you and your sister being so young, that you invented all the supernatural stuff to help cope with a fucked up situation? Okay, the shtick isn't funny anymore, Oren said. Yeah, now you're just being an asshole, I said. It's okay, everyone. Sophie said before casting her gaze towards Connor. I have considered that possibility, to be completely honest. And you might even be right. Maybe all that stuff with the electrics and the blurry man was just a shared delusion between Kaylee and I. Yeah, I'm not suggesting that you're crazy or anything. Personally, I think it's a completely natural thing to do. To create stories to explain things like that. I mean, that's how Muffs and Folktales all started, right? Right, Sophie said. Yeah. Connor said, more exhaling the word than actually saying it, relieved to leave his villain arc in the past. Sophie peered down into her drink. The thing is, though, that even if that's true, it all affects me in the same way. Sometimes I wonder how I let it become so normal for myself, after witnessing it tear my mum apart. It's strange, isn't it? We normalise it so much in almost every culture, and claim that it's some sort of stress reliever or social lubricant. But the five of us have been friends for years. Why do we have to be lubricated to chat and have fun together? Like, do we really need to ingest something that our livers treat as poison, that our brains treat as a neurotoxin, just to cope with life, just to numb out reality? We all shifted in our seats, uncomfortable. What were any of us to say to that? How did you even begin to follow that up? She raised some decent points, to my mind, but the stark truth, at least for me, was that I did struggle to face reality without being numbed out every now and then. I'd been told, ever since I was a little girl, that our planet was dying, that all the animals were rapidly becoming extinct, that we were depleting the rainforests, filling the oceans with plastic, melting the polar ice caps, altering the very landscapes around us, and that I would probably be utterly powerless to stop it. In fact, I would probably spend my life indirectly working for the very corporations that were sucking the soul out of the earth and funding them with my consumer habits. I'd likely have no retirement, no house, no garden, no family, not because it was my choice to be an independent young woman, which was just as valuable a life path, but because I couldn't afford the luxury of family. How did anyone face all of that sober? But I didn't want to bring all of this up because it was not the greatest topic of discussion to raise in the middle of a bar, on the cusp of Christmas, where people were trying to be merry. Well, I have been cutting back to be fair, Connor said, before chasing these words up with another automatic swallow of stout. Following on from my original train of thought, 
I realised that I'd been so immersed in Sophie's story that I'd failed to notice that much of the bar had filtered out during it. It was totally bizarre. There was a group at one table in the opposite corner, roughly the same size as ours. Along the tables, there sat smaller, more intimate groups. A trio of friends were at the bar station itself. And that was it. It was a scarce turnout for a Wednesday, in the middle of February, never mind Christmas week. It just did not get this quiet in Foxes in December. Not to be crass, Oren said, but I'm done with my mulled wine and probably would fancy another. But just the one, he added quickly, defensively. I suspect you'd only have time for one anyway, Katie said after glancing up at the large clock behind the bar. That taxi is probably due soon. Sophie smiled softly. No, please go ahead. I didn't mean to rant. I was just trying to work things out for myself, out loud. Don't let me dampen the fun. Go and get another round, but I'm probably going to give this one a miss. Is everyone else up for one more? I asked, and when they assented, I offered to pay for it. I batted away the protests, using Katie's own logic, that if we were all keeping tabs on drinking debts, then surely I was only narrowly above her, second to bottom on that list. I didn't know everyone had the statistics worked out for these things, Sophie said. I have, Connor said. In fact, I can tell you what everyone owes down to the exact drink. Why doesn't that surprise me? Oren said. Just you wait until you see my conversion chart. Like, you can't be comparing one pint of Carlsberg to one pint of Guinness, can you? That'd be madness. Clearly. I asked Sophie if she was interested in a mocktail or one of the non-alcoholic wines or beers, but she simply stated that at this point, she'd rather just have a lemonade. I sauntered up to the bar and requested the drinks from Terence. No bother, Grace. How's the form, anyway? It's good to see you all back in here. I noted that he'd grown a soul patch and his hair was becoming a bit of an accidental mullet at the back. Or at least, it seemed accidental. You make it sound like we've ever been away. We're here every year, I pointed out. Terence fought on this. His eyes almost turned inwards. Oh I, so you are. Then he and Milo proceeded to make the drinks with no great urgency, as of course, it wasn't like there was a massive queue of people waiting for them to become available. Instead of hovering over them, which I regarded as impolite, I meandered over to the window to watch the snowfall. It was certainly coming down faster and faster. What had begun the night as a steady fall was now practically bucketing. It wasn't quite as bad as in 2010, as described in Oren's story, but it was approaching the next level to that, drawing nearer and nearer with every passing hour. I was worried about the taxis accessing the street and was trying to work out the logistics of it all when I noticed a shape drifting through the snow. And it did appear to be drifting, rather than walking. It was barely moving its legs. I felt a tingle at the back of my neck. I felt a pulse within my body. Throb, throb, throb. I recognised that green, tattered coat as belonging to the man named Paul Rick. The man who was kicked out at the beginning of the night. But there was something different about him now. He was hunched over, crooked. His skin was a lot darker too. Not tanned, but charred. There were holes in his coat, as if the material was melting. As if the falling flecks were made of acid, rather than snow. I thought I saw something, just above his head. As he shifted, I thought I saw antlers. Gasping, I wrenched away from the window only to come face to face with the Christmas tree. From within it, I thought I saw two red lights, 
glowing fiercer than all the others, like a pair of watching eyes. Insane. I was insane, or just being paranoid after hearing all the other stories. What age was I to be so impressionable? It was then that I heard a voice saying, Grace, 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 like the tapping of fingers against a window. When I whizzed around, I saw that Terence was donning a concerned expression. Sorry, what was that? I inquired. I was just asking if it would be cash or card. Uh, card, I said, before promptly paying for the round of drinks. I brought them to the table, balanced atop a tray, utilising those old waitress muscles which had been dormant for ages. I would have previously believed them to have atrophied. My friends must have seen through my facade of nonchalance, because Connor asked, Are you okay, Grace? I'm fine, I said between breathy heaves, but I was anything but fine. I was hit again by a barrage of images. They were like a flurry. I could identify one from another no better than someone trying to pick out one particular snowflake amid a snowstorm. I tried to sit naturally, but instead, I almost collapsed into my seat. The others rose quickly, rushing to my aid. It was Sophie who held me in place, securing me to the chair as Connor massaged my shoulder. Gracie, Oren said, gazing into my eyes as if he were holding a flashlight up to them. I think you might need to go to the hospital. It's fine, really. Yeah, she'll be okay, Katie said. Connor raised an eyebrow. I mean, she's struggling to speak and looks like she's ready to pass out as soon as we let her go. Katie chewed on her lower lip. I glanced out the window and saw that it was black now. Abruptly, I recalled something that my mother had once told me. Even the people closest to you, those who know you best, don't know everything. People can't read your mind. Don't expect them to, Gracie. When you're in need of help, you need to ask for it. Because most people wait until their need is obvious. Until it's plastered across their face and present in every decision that they make. Every word that they say. But by then, it's usually too late. Deep breath. Just say the words. Just spit them out. I... I began. And when everyone looked at me, the words fell into my mind blender. Come on. Get them out. Vomit them if you have to. Just get them out there. I've been seeing things. I blurted out. And there they were. They were out there, and now I could not take them back. My friends all digested my words. I could discern no impressions from any of them. What were they thinking? Seeing things? Warren asked. He's giving you a chance to take it back, my internal voice told me. Go on and seize it. Tell him it was a mistake. Tell him you were joking. Yeah, I finally said. Sort of like hallucinations. Like waking dreams. Or nightmares. I waited for them to call me crazy. Or perhaps shift back in their seats. However, I felt vindicated when Sophie said, I've been seeing things too. I stared at her, amazed. Her eyes were of a brown so pale that they were almost like two macadamia nuts. What sort of things? Well, it started like, with me seeing some faces of people in the bar, all burnt and bleeding. Since then, I've started seeing shadows of people who aren't really there, moving about, shoving, pushing, and screaming. As if the bar were packed, there was a horrified expression now on Oren's face, which must have been a reflection of my own. Yeah, I've been seeing that too, but I thought it might be just like the light getting into my eyes or something. I searched the bar for answers. Something's going on. What do you mean? Sophie asked. That man, Paul Rick, the one who got himself chucked out, is still outside. 
something's not right about him. I saw him changing. Like, I don't know, some sort of shapeshifter. Christ almighty, Connor muttered. I whipped my head around. Whatever expression of fury he saw on my face caused him to reel back. When he settled again, he said, Well, you can go on about how you've seen this and how you've seen that, but I haven't seen anything, so how do you all explain that? He swiveled. What about you, Katie? Please don't tell me I'm the only one here not losing my mind. No, I haven't seen anything, Katie said at the same moment that she lowered her face so that her nose pointed to her feet. Once again, the words in my mind mixed around, trying to find the perfect order. Just say them. Just vomit them out. As much as I avoided confrontation at all costs, sometimes the truth simply demanded to be spoken. There's something you're not telling us, Katie. I expected to be met by opposition from the others, to have them jump to Katie's defense, so I was surprised when Oren immediately said, Yup, I've been getting that same vibe from you all night. Ditto, Sophie said. Come on and just tell us, Katie. We're your friends. You don't have to keep secrets from us. Something unexpected happened after that. Her eyes became shiny as they filled with tears. Her lower lip began trembling. Fine, I'll tell you the truth. Thank goodness for that. Sophie said but before I do we have to see it through we have to finish it my eyes widened in astonishment finish what? you make it sound like some sort of ritual Oren said think that's what it may well be it's a sort of debt free stories are owed therefore free stories must be told I felt a sudden stab of fear followed by a flurry of irrational thoughts maybe she was part of it maybe she was inviting these spirits in Maybe she was serving whatever monster power I was transforming into. No, I said desperately. We need to stop it here. Katie grasped my hand and held my fingers so tightly that it was painful. Trust me, okay? And upon seeing those tears in her eyes, hearing that desperation in her voice, I wanted so badly to trust her. But she'd already been so evasive this night, and I was deathly afraid of what might happen from here. I could feel tears welling up in my own eyes as if to match hers. Are you going to tell the next one then? No. The next story isn't mine to tell. My mouth fell open at the implication. Well, I don't have one to tell either. I had never experienced anything paranormal before. Until the things I'd seen tonight. No. Not you either. She motioned with her head, indicating Connor. He jolted back, causing the feet of his chair to scrape against the floor. Oh, come on, he said. Him? Oren said. Really? Even I find that hard to believe, Sophie said. Katie eyed Connor, like someone playing a game of poker, trying to read their opponent. Maybe he's the one deepest in denial about it, but he has one, all the same. Connor rotated his glass, making a continuous circle. It was like one of those cartoons, where the clock breaks and both hands uncontrollably whiz around and around. He had yet to sip his Guinness. The foam was beginning to overflow and run down the sides of his glass. Oh my god, you actually have one, Oren said. I do not. Oren and I shared ours, Sophie said. So if you have one too, then you owe it to us. Especially after Sophie's was so personal, I said. I don't. You have to, Connor, Katie said desperately. It's the only way any of us are getting home tonight. A chill ran up my spine. It acted like the fuse to a stick of dynamite. At its apex... When it went off, the entire bar became dark, for just a second, for just the briefest flash, and within that dark, I thought that I saw them too, the shapes that Sophie had spoken of, 
the hundreds of people, all squashed together, all crying and screaming for help. When everything had returned to normal, I saw that my fingernails had dug deep gouges into the table. I removed them and glanced about. Did any of you just see that? Holy shit, Sophie said, covering her mouth. See that one, did you, Connor? Oren growled. Are you going to tell us we imagined that one too? I could tell, by Connor's pale face and enlarged eyes, that he had seen it. But the weirdest thing was that none of the rest of the bar reacted in any significant way. They all resumed their conversations, as if we were in a bubble, separate from the rest. Tell it, Connor, Katie insisted. That taxi isn't coming until you finish your story. What? What did that even mean? Had I felt a tremor run through the room at her words? Or had I imagined it? Okay, okay, Connor said, squeezing his eyes together. I'll tell you. Jesus Christ, I'll tell you. So this all started when my dad was wandering the streets in the run-up to Christmas. He was out searching for a gift to buy me. Anyway, through sheer happenstance, he soon finds himself in this little hidden shop in the middle of Chinatown, full of knickknacks and trinkets. Beyond everything, he finds a cage, and upon exploring the cage, he finds that there's a strange, singing animal locked inside. So he... For fuck's sake, Connor, would you pack it on? Oren said. Yeah, we all know that you're just retelling the plot of Gremlins, Sophie said. Wise up and tell us the real story, I demanded. Another tremor seemed to shake the room just then, as if it were a direct threat. All right, all right, Connor said. He heaved a heavy sigh. It'd probably be far more entertaining if I did just retell Gremlins, but I suppose I'll give it a go.